to the first anniversary episode of Desk Doodles. I'm your host, Sapna Malhotra. I can't believe it myself, it's been a year. The year was so amazing with wonderful guests on Desk Doodles, thought leaders from education, parents, teachers, special educators, principals, even students. I think it was such an enriching uh, experience for me. We talked about all the various forms of education, the Montessori method, the entrepreneurial learning, how do we create a positive school environment. And every episode left me wanting more, wanting to learn more. And when I was thinking about today's special episode, I wanted to share it with someone who shared my passion for creativity, somebody who believed in making education come alive for the students somebody who believed that education should be an experience for children to remember all their life. And he has woken up at 7.30 in the morning on a Sunday morning in California to have this conversation with us. He's the author of the books, Creative Strategies, uh, Learning Design Through uh, Alias Studio Tools. He's the professor and faculty director of product design department at Art Center College of Design, California. He's the creative strategies workshop facilitator. I think the end, the, the list is endless. And I think I'm just going to call him and let him tell us the story himself. Please welcome Mr. Fridolin Weiser. Welcome to Des Doodles, Frido. Uh, hello, Sapna. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. It's uh, quite a treat. Oh, I'm so happy to have you here. So honored because, and you're waking up at 7.30 in the morning to have this conversation. So that speaks for itself that, you know, you believe so much in this talk. Well, I believe, uh, I think, I think the, what has taught us over the last couple of months, uh, years really, is that the world has become so global that we're no longer confined to our own time zone. So to me, it's quite uh, an honor to be able to do this with you, but also we've gotten so accustomed to be teaching and talking across time zones. So it's rather natural to say, oh, we just have to figure out that we're in the correct time zone calculation that we don't miss each other by an hour or something like this, but absolutely no problem to be here this early. Oh, great. So I read somewhere, Fido, you described yourself as designer by training and um, uh, educator by serendipity. And I want to hear the story because I'm already excited. So take us on this journey and tell us how you got to be where you are today. Oh, that's a great, great question. Um, I never wanted to, to be a teacher. Like I never woke up, uh, like some people say, oh, it was my destiny to do this. I was like, no, I, I wanted to be a designer. And I just happened to slide into teaching through software. Actually, my first book that I wrote was a book on 3D modeling software, which is uh, not quite as interesting perhaps as creativity, but it got me onto that path in teaching a technical skill to students. And I remember that there was a moment in my life when I went to the graduation um, and I ran into a student that I had a few years uh, prior to his graduation in my class and I had since lost contact with him, but I saw him at graduation and uh, he walked up to me and he said, oh, you know what, Frida, I meant to tell you something. I was like, yeah, what is it? And he said, you know what, the class that I had with you changed my life. It set me onto the path that I'm on right now. It's the one that started it all for me. Those were his words, it started it all for me. And I kept thinking about this and I said like, 
I'd never had a thought that I could have such a positive impact on another human being to really liberate them and set them on into a path and to build their own career. And so it was right at the point where I was um, working full-time as a designer, I was designing for the Fortune 500 companies, um, you know, things like we did trade shows, we did uh, interiors of buildings, furniture, electronics, you name it. And I was teaching part-time. And I realized that with all the great accomplishments I did in the design field, it didn't measure up to that little accomplishment of helping another human being sitting on that, onto that path. And it was that moment when I said, you know what? I think I'm going to change course. I think I'm going to make design my part-time job where I have fun creating, but I'm going to dedicate myself to helping others, setting them on their path of creativity because the impact is much stronger than getting a paycheck. You get like the, the warmth from another human being that then has a full career full of creativity onto them. And so I figured like, that's what I got to do. And that was the, the turning tide basically where I said, okay, I, you know, I went to the school and said, hey, I'm kind of thinking about not doing this as a part-time job. I was thinking about maybe teaching full-time and I had a whole speech prepared and my, my uh, department chair at the time, uh, he just said, okay, we'll do it. And it was just like, oh, okay. So I guess there was, uh, it was meant to be in some way. So that's why I was serendipity that I kind of slid into this. And I've never looked back. It was like one of the best decisions I've made, I think, is dedicating myself to education and educating others and myself along the way, because we're all lifelong learners and that's correct, correct. Wow. I think that's what I was raring to hear this story because when I read that, it just excited me. And I was like looking forward to hearing how you got to be where you are. And of course, what you said uh, uh, speaks volumes because I remember uh, my son, he took one of your courses and he was so enamored with uh, the way you brought the whole uh, education alive for him. And since then, I've been wanting to have this conversation with you because it's, uh, you know, like we say that it's on some levels, I feel it's very easy to excite when you're uh, teaching little kids, but to excite children when they are in at that age, when they're doing their master's program and to uh, bring education, uh, you know, so make it so meaningful and exciting for them is really a tough task. It's not that easy the way you make it sound, but hats off to you. It's, uh, I think it's, it's doing wonders there. Um, yeah, I keep, I keep, I'm very, very self-critical. So I keep looking at every single time that I teach, I keep looking at what works and what doesn't. Um, but for me, the most profound moment was actually going back to school myself. So I had a moment where uh, I wanted to, as I mentioned, I was teaching a 3D modeling software, like it was very technical. It was for automotive designers. So it was a very narrow field. And I was thinking about like, well, I want to pivot because I just had finished writing my first book and it was the manual on how to use the software, which again, to some degree is very dry if you think about it. And also very um, time sensitive, meaning a software keeps changing year after year after year. So if you write a manual once, then the next year it's basically outdated. So I try to figure out what can I do and teach that is a little bit more longevity based that goes across all disciplines that could touch all human beings in their careers. And I landed on, uh, not surprisingly, creativity and it was, then the moment of like, well, how do you do creativity? I mean, I know it sort of intuitively, but I've never really thought about putting a process to it. And so the eye-opening moment there was that I actually went back to school myself. Wow. So I was a full-time teacher. And then at night I was taking full-time classes. 
Oh. And it was eye-opening because in the morning, I was, I was fairly young at that time, in the morning, I would be yelling at a student saying, that's not good enough, you've got to try harder. And then in the evening, a teacher would say the same thing to me. And I was like, what, that didn't feel so good, actually. <laughs> you know, it's like what I was doing in the morning is what I received in the evening. And I realized that there were a few other teachers I had along the line, uh, along the way that were teaching. And I really enjoyed the way they were doing it. And I thought, wow, I really want to learn not to necessarily please the teacher, but because the environment is so engaging. And I just picked up from every single teacher that I had, I picked up little clues and little tricks and little methods so that I was able to combine them actually into creating my own class where I said, this is the class that I would like to take myself. And it's an elective class, not one that you have to take, it's one that you want to take. And I think that's the one that your son was in. And that's why I think you also had a really enjoyable time because I tried to make it fun for everyone involved. So it doesn't become such a drag where you have to learn and memorize things. It's really just about having fun. Yeah, no, I think, but I think through the entire journey, what stands out is that um, if you just look within, if you just think, take a moment and reflect upon what you really want to do, I think, uh, and uh, explore, because you every time you stopped and you thought that what do I really enjoy doing what I want to do because it's the journey that was important to you it wasn't where you wanted to be you were not looking at that point somewhere ahead you know long way off but you were looking at what was going on the journey is what mattered to you and that's why I think that that that's where it got you the happiness and the success that you have so let, let me just uh, you know, come to the big question that we are going to uh, address th through our talk today. And that is that, how can we, uh, you know, uh, discover our creative side? So, uh, but it's a big, huge question. Let's begin with the small one first, the first step. And according to you, what is creativity? What like, means it, different things to different people, right? So what, what according to you is creativity? Yeah, I, I, that's an excellent question. I, I pieced it together from some of the definitions that I see, uh, saw from some of the people that I looked up to, that I studied as I was uh, putting this together. And the definition that I use is to um, solve problems with new solutions that have value. So there, there are three parts in this statement. Problems are not necessarily problems as in problematic, like I have a, I have a ache in my arm or something like this. Problem is, for in the creative field, just about anything that you're trying to accomplish. So for example, if I need to pick a color for a painting, to me, that's a problem that I need to solve. I need to be creative in how I actually do this. Um, so creativity as a definition, as a process is problem solving. And coming up with new ideas, I think is one of the keys that it is about thinking differently compared to what has been done before. Um, and then, with value, which is the last component, that means that it undergoes some form of a critique, some form of a feedback. So let's say, for example, that we're trying to come up with a new mechanism for a bicycle um, to make it run better, to make it run faster, smoother, lighter, you name it. That would be the problem statement. You come up with a new way and you could technically test it if it works. And that would be the value. Like if you come up with something new and you test it, it works, then it is indeed a creative process. What I've realized since then, though, is that there are actually, besides the process, 
another very, very, very important component to creativity, which is the mindset. And that came about to me while I was teaching actually um, MBA students in Singapore. And I realized that MBA students are incredibly well trained to find the single most valuable solution to a problem that they are trained on oftentimes business cases where they see a problem and they can go in their mind through ways that that problem has been solved in the past. And what I realized in teaching them about creativity is that I need to fundamentally shift them into a different mindset. And it was then when I discovered that I need to actually teach them the childlike mindset where imagination is driving every single decision-making moment that they're able to imagine things that haven't been done before. And so that has changed a little bit the way that I teach creativity where it's much more about allowing the students to go back to the point where they have the childlike, not childish, childlike mindset where they're able to come up with ideas without being judged, without being fearful that maybe it's wrong or someone's gonna laugh at me, but they're just able to say, hey, here's something new and they then go out and try it. So that's maybe one of the biggest components in addition to problem solving that I see as necessary as a mindset. Well, that's that's so right because I myself feel that I think creativity is just unique like your DNA and it's 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 very innate uh, a quality to each one and it manifests in so many different ways. Like you said, it could just be like for somebody it could be a painting, for somebody it could be a dish that somebody has created or it could be the garden that somebody has created in their own house. And it could manifest in so many different ways. But I think the beginning of it all is that, you know, we, we grow up and we say, oh, you know, that one is so creative. I'm not as creative. As adults, we start feeling like that. But uh, when we're born, I think all kids are born creative. Every child Absolutely. is creative. And I think no wonder Picasso said that every, uh, you know, uh, every child is an artist. It's difficult to keep that artist uh, alive when you are grown up. And uh, I think one of the reasons is that as children, we just think so divergent. We just think in a very expansive way and uh, our imagination just flows. But as we grow, I think we just start focusing on the goal and we just get so reductive in our uh, thinking that uh, we, we, we somewhere, I think we lose being as creative as we are when we are kids. So I think which is like I, I also say during my workshops when I do with my teachers and I keep telling them that, you know, just keep that child alive in you because I think the child is the most creative part of us and we just lock that child and just put shove him somewhere back and then we never kind of let that child come out and whether we are, uh, you know, creating something, it's so important for that child like, you know, enthusiasm, that curiosity and I think the, the thought of exploring and experimenting, it all comes with being childlike, I feel. It's uh, so important. Yeah, and I think you brought up actually a really interesting point, which is, you know, I mean, I teach at a design school, so we have a lot of designers and artists, but that's not to mean that creativity is reserved for those in that field. You mentioned that creativity is being used in, in actually in every field, 
every uh, every every mom needs to be super creative about raising their children. Every person that's working in the field can be creative working in different industries. It's not reserved for a special group of people. It is a fab a part of the fabric of life is creativity and how we run it. And as such, when people say, oh, I'm not creative. Um, yeah, it doesn't mean that uh, they are not creative. It just means they need to get touched in there with their inner child again. And I, and I tell people, well, you've, you've been a child once, right? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, sure. It's like, well, then you are creative. You just need to get in touch with that part of you. And as soon as you allow yourself to do it, it's really about allowing. Uh, usually they blossom in many ways, right? Because oftentimes it's the pressure that we have put upon ourselves that makes us think, oh, I cannot do that. Or I will, this will look weird if I do it. And it's like, no, it just use imagination to free up is what liberates creativity within ourselves. Absolutely. So on the dot, because uh, during my sessions also with teachers, I, I do a lot of hands-on activities and I tell them that I'm going to, you know, treat you like kids in a class. Okay. And you have to just go with the flow. And when I show them the videos, when I, uh, you know, show them after the session and they're running around and they're screaming with excitement. And I said, just look at yourself and you thought that you couldn't do it at this age because, you know, we put barriers around ourselves. We just put these blocks that, you know, because we are 25 or we are 30 and we are 40, we need to behave in a particular manner. We need to walk in a particular manner. And that kind of uh, blocks um, our creativity in so many ways. So I think this is a perfect segue to move into the next question, Fredo. Tell me, can we increase our creativity? I, I like to call it also creative quotient. So can we increase our creative quotient? And how can we do that? <laughs> yeah, of course, I would say, of course, yes. <laughs> Hands down, yes. yes. We can always increase our creativity. It's, I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's about allowing ourselves to be more creative. So if we think about maybe, first of all, how can we be more creative? First step, I would say, is like what stops us from being more creative. And I think in many ways, it's the fear of failure. It's the fear of uh, I'm spending too much time on this or it's going to get misjudged or it's not going to work or I don't have the resources. One way or another, that's usually an inhibitor, the greatest inhibitor. And oftentimes it's pressure that we build upon ourselves in our own mind, but sometimes it comes from the outside where it's like, oh, I don't know what my spouse is going to think of this or what my parents are going to think of this, any of the, what my boss is going to think of this, any of those kind of things. And so one of the ways that I've started to look at this is Failure is only if you make something an end. So if you say, well, I'm going to go from A to B. If I don't reach B, then maybe that's a failure. But the way I think about the creative process, you were talking earlier about the journey is the destination. I think of this as a process where it is all about taking steps. And I compare this to crossing a river where if we take one step at a time, there's a stone that we have to get to. Usually we need to get to that stone to see the next one because from the shore, we cannot see how we get to the other side. And I think a lot of times people, when they say, oh, I, I cannot be creative enough, they try to see how they get to the other side of the shore in one step, where it's really about taking small steps along the way and pivoting. That's one of my favorite ways to think about this, that we thought we're going to go this way, but we're going to pivot along the way. So in other words, to allow us to be more creative really is allowing us to take more of these steps, one step at a time, and then to start pivoting left and right and trying another way. If this one didn't work, then it yields yet another solution that we can take forward. And that's been for me, the greatest driver to almost 
unlimited creativity because I don't see ever really necessarily a destination, like a stopping point. If the first thing didn't work, I just try another one, try another one, try another one. And I always take baby steps with everything that I do. That's, I think, the other thing. I have sometimes students that have an idea and they want to get the idea done and they're spending most of their time trying to imagine how to get that idea done. And they usually don't because the energy, they don't have enough capacity to imagine this new amazing thing that they're trying to do. And I see the other type of student that if I tell them, hey, just take one little test, make a little prototype, make a little test to get there. It usually sets them off into motion to eventually get somewhere, wherever that might be. So the key to me in terms of increasing creativity is to starting more things, whether it is about, you mentioned cooks earlier, uh, whether it's about cooking recipes, ingredients, whether it's about gardening, whether it's about lifestyle choices or things you do at work, starting more little attempts will ultimately create more pathways to explore. And it's allowing yourself to do that that opens up the doors to creativity. Absolutely. And I think what you said is so right that, uh, you know, taking uh, whether you make a mistake or you falter or you fail, I think that is the point which opens so many doors and windows to new thinking. Because when that block comes is when you start thinking, okay, maybe I need to look for another. And that's how you need to think because you need to find a different path. You need to pivot, like you said. So I think that is so important uh, as a step towards being creative. And you have uh, your second book, Creative Strategies, talks about, uh, I think, 10 processes, how we can get more creative. So, um, and uh, it, it's uh, very interesting uh, that one of, if you could share some of those steps, like I read that uh, seeking inspiration is again, one of those things that you talk about, uh, you know, as one of the processes to be more creative. Yeah, so the, the book came about, let me briefly talk about the, the background of the book. I just happened to have a copy here because I was just teaching last week with this. Um, the, the book, I, when I wrote the book, first of all, I'm not really an author, even though I wrote the book, but I realized that it's, it's not <laughs> my strength. So it was, it was a little bit like imagining like, well, how do you write a book about creativity when all the books about creativity already exist? And I realized that uh, there's so many case studies, I'm going to use that word again, about how um, companies have been creative or particular individuals have been amazingly creative. And I figured that the best way to go about writing the book is actually to draw from my own experience because that's kind of how I think, uh, I think it's also how it's different from other people. And hopefully that would also inspire others to see, oh, here's how uh, you can not accomplish things, but how you can think about things differently. And one of them, when you talked about inspiration, I call this approach investing on inspiration. Um, investment because I think it actually takes quite a bit of time, effort, and resources to get inspired. And I see this all the time. What I, what I mean by that is if I tell students, hey, let's, um, let's come up with a new design for, let's say, a bicycle, because you brought that up earlier. What students will do is they will all go onto the internet and they will go onto the first page of their search results. So you have 30 students coming up with the exact same inspiration, quote unquote, inspiration of. Uh, material that they want to work with, which then inevitably is not new. It's all the same. And so what I found very early on 
um, together with my wife, actually, we were taking a trip and we realized that by going outside of your four walls, out of your studio, out of what you're familiar with, going out into the unknown will inevitably inspire us and bring back new things that we don't even know yet to as, as a source material to our creative process as the fuel for creativity. Uh, that's how we see inspiration. And so investing on inspiration is a process of physics for us it's physically leaving our design studio to experience new things talk to people learn more about the world that we otherwise would not get because we look at inspiration as a creative fuel and it drives everything and so what that results in our lifestyle is that we spend quite a bit of time not creating but soaking up inspiring being inspired and it's most often by what other people are doing in other fields than ours and in other locations from ours. That's the uh, in, um, inspirational investment kind of strategy. Correct. And this is, this is what, uh, you know, by the outside, like uh, getting inspired by something that you see, something that you hear. It could be a sound. It could just be a logo somewhere, you know. It could... I think it's just about keeping an open mind when you're looking at things. Uh, it's just making that emotional connect with uh, whether it is just a picturesque, you know, seaside or it is just a mountain or it is, you know, a book cover that you read, uh, just see. So I think it's just how you emotionally connect to something. Um, once you start uh, thinking like that, I think that's where that inspiration and that trigger to your creativity happens. And uh, it may not, like in your book as well, I think you talk about uh, not just the outside, it's a lot to do within, like when you say digging deeper. And uh, tell us a little bit about that. Digging deeper is the, is the very, very first strategy. It's, it's actually, if I, if I translate it, it's really about curiosity. It's about um, really being mindful about our current presence right now, right here. And being able to not just let that moment pass, but go in deep and discover things that are, as you said, within or within our, our parameters. So where this came from was at a very young age, um, I realized that I always need to ask more questions about how things work, how the world works. Um, and I also need to ask questions what I can do with that information. That's the process of calling that I call digging deeper. It came from as a very young age, I was um, at a British amusement fair and um, they had a machine there where you would insert a penny and you could flip a coin, uh, I'm sorry, flip a, a ball into this machine and you could win or lose. And I was so fascinated by this machine that I asked them to open up the inside to see what's inside. Inside was almost nothing, it was very, because the goal of the machine was to lose, basically, not to win. Um, <laughs> And so I, I asked my parents, can I have one of these machines? Because I like it so much. It was a very young, young child. I was like, I want, I want this. Can I have it? They said no. And then I said, okay, well, if I cannot have one, maybe I need to make one. And it was that moment when I started to say, like, well, how am I going to make it? I, I have no skills. And then I, then I asked my father, like, what tools do we have? And he had like a little power drill and a jigsaw, I think. And I, and I started, I remember this vividly, I started with, just cutting a piece of wood and putting a couple of nails inside and then somewhere finding a steel ball and, and letting the ball drop and trying it out to see how it works. And of course it didn't work. 
but then I, as I was mentioning with the stepping stones, I said, okay, well, how can I do it differently? And so I think that took like two years or something until I finished this, this strange machine that I built. Um, but it was digging deeper. It was not letting go at the first sort of disappointment. It was a, a level of curiosity. Like, what else can I do with it? And it's been, it's been always been the driving force for myself and my wife in how we go about life. So for example, you know, when I talk about inspirational investment, I usually tell my students, you have to go out into the world and experience different places, different people. Well, with the pandemic, obviously, that uh, we've all been in, it's been all about not seeing other people, <laughs> not seeing the other with the rest of the world. So, and for us, it's been a really interesting process of saying like, okay, where can we go where there are no people? Like, where can we get inspired where not everybody else is? And it get with once again, it just becomes not a dead end, like, oh, we can't do it. It's like, no, we just have to be really creative and finding, seeking those places to get inspired where we do not come in contact with um, others. So that's been a, a really wonderful journey as well. And just trying to rethinking and reimagining how you can still pursue those things to fuel ourselves without going the traditional route, just changing it, making things differently. Absolutely. Now, you were talking about yourself as a kid right now, and there was so much of, uh, you know, fun uh, memory to it. And that's why I want to take you to the next question from here, which I, I really strongly feel about it. And I want to ask you, do you think that our schools uh, need to prioritize creative thinking? Do you think that they need to stress more on letting children, you know, uh, explore and experiment and step out of their classrooms because I feel teaching can happen everywhere, anywhere. It doesn't need to be within these four walls. And I think, um, uh, you know, students need to step out. So do you think that schools need to prioritize that? Yes, I do. I mean, I have two children myself. Uh, they just turned 11 and eight. And I see so much about their development and what they're picking up from the world that the, the world around them, the world around us is the classroom. It shouldn't be confined, first of all, to just here is one hour of algebra or something like this. Algebra should be happening throughout the whole day, the week, the month, the year, because it is a part of what I think we need to learn when it comes to a particular skill. But I think that the creative skill is the single most critical capacity that we as human beings need to champion, master and exercise on a daily basis because there are so many incredible challenges that we as individuals and as a society have that need to be tackled that require new approaches where the old approaches have not worked or have gotten us into situations um, that will be outdated eventually. So for someone to graduate and to have the capacity to be creative uh, and to practice that, like I said, I think it's the, the most important thing to have because it will be able to adapt to all situations of life. If you are capable of creative thinking, if you've been practicing it, you can do anything you want with your life. You can go into practicing uh, how to cook. You can go into business. You can go uh, run a family creatively. It doesn't really matter, but I think it applies to just about everything, much more than things that you can look up online. There's so much information, there's such a wealth of resources available. 
that I think memorizing dates, or memorizing certain things is not as critical as being able to imagine what doesn't exist yet. Yeah, and I think so true that, uh, you know, uh, as children, uh, when in schools, we are most of the time encouraged to use only one side of our brain. And there is very limited time that is given for us to use the right side of our brain. And, and then we expect when we are all grown up to be creative, right? When we are at a job of any kind, we are asked to be more, get a more creative solution to it. Come on, think better, think something different. When all our life we have grown up, when we've been asked to fit into one mold, right? It's been designed in such a way, the education system, that everybody is asked to fit in rather than stand out. Whereas the rest of the life, uh, you know, we are being asked to stand out, don't do what is the regular. And so I think there is a big divide between how we uh, educate and how we use that education. And I think it is so important for us to link the two. And um, like you said, we need to encourage our children. And I think these small little creative practices, processes, if we can do in school, like, I think children need to be encouraged to, you know, feel like the textures, understand the colors, uh, you know, the shapes, the sizes, or even I think somewhere the emotional connect, like if they are happy, encourage them to, you know, maybe say, what, what would you show that you're happy with? You know, whether you want to write, whether you want to choose a color. I mean, those kind of processes, do you think that, you know, how, how can we encourage them to be more creative? With children? Yeah. In their process, so we've we've read a, a, a book um, from a woman who was proposing to have a uh, creativity set up at home for us. Uh, I think it was called a tinker room or tinker station or something to that degree. What it translated to us is um, we created a for ourselves what we call a, a creative garage, or now it's more a creative studio, which is we have a few base materials available. Um, they include um, things for sculpting and making. They include a couple of things for cutting and sawing. And they include other materials. And what our children do, which is quite fascinating, is that we give them uh, creative time where they get to work on whichever passion project they want to work on at the time. And it changes over the, over the months and years, whatever they're into at that moment. But they know that they have a place to physically go to where they're allowed to do whatever they want, where there are no restrictions, oh, you can't do that, oh, that is dangerous, or any of those things that we as parents kind of do to subdue them. And um, I just had one of my children, the Creative Garage is right behind me here, pick up some materials, taking it out into the main area of our place here, and she's going to start and tinker and make and create. And so it's we've built it into the, the schedule that we have where we don't keep them busy 24 seven because that creates routine routine is repetitive repetitiveness is not creative it's the opposite but for them they know that they have a very dedicated creative time where they can make whatever they want right now they're making dragons <laughs> what's happening right now but so the i think the point is that allowing for space physical space but also the time space in the time of the day to be creative is very very critical and also for it to be non-prescribed where if we say, hey, let's go and make a, you fill in the blank, then the outcome's already determined by that. Yeah. But if we sometimes, sometimes we just take a, a lump of clay and put the clay on the table, 
and don't even say anything, the kid will inevitably pick up the clay and start making something. And when we then say, hey, what are you making? And they're like, oh, I was thinking about, and then this digging deeper process starts where, where they say, I'm thinking about, fill in the blank. We then say like, well, how might we do this? And then it, this, it triggers this cascade of questions on how we kind of go about it. And those are the moments that the children remember. I, I can give you a tiny mini story where this came to life, just popped into my mind. A few years ago, we took a little family trip to um, Hawaii. Um, and on the property, we had a palm tree and the palm tree had coconuts. And they were very, very high up. And the children said, oh, I would like to try the coconut because it's growing on the property. And, and, I, and I, instead of saying, let's go buy some or let's go get it, I said, okay, how, how do you think we're going to get it down? And they started brainstorming. And I just kind of went along with it. Like every idea that they came up with, we tried. Whether or not it worked wasn't even important. And it's to this day, the moment that they remember where we together tried to accomplish something and did fail fast prototyping. We, I think we tried seven or eight different methods of trying to get it down. None of them worked yeah. uh, until the very last one, but they really enjoyed coming up with the ideas and then having an adult to help with actually manifesting some of the technical aspects of it and trying it out. So great that you brought this up because the other day I was reading. So uh, apparently uh, something like what you said that just let them freely think, right? So I was reading about uh, Leonardo da Vinci and he had these books in which he uh, noted down whatever thoughts came to him, whether it was a calculation or a sketch or any, uh, any questions that were popping in his mind. And uh, later on studies, uh, uh, you know, they kind of came up that whatever he had noted down, he filled up some 7,000 uh, notebook pages. And it was that work that transcended into the work that he accomplished, which was multidisciplinary, right? It wasn't like only science or it wasn't only arts. So some of the schools I read have started coming up with this thought of giving children just notebooks and they call them the Da Vinci books. And they just encourage the children that during the day, whatever comes to your mind, just go write it down. Even if it's a funny question, it doesn't have to, you know, adults will always judge it. Okay, it doesn't make sense, right? But it, it's uh, not monitored. So they just get to do whatever they want. And that kind of brings out the whole, uh, you know, uh, creativity and the fun part of it. And then at the end of the year, all of them sit together and they read from their books and they just... Some of them say that I tried it and I made it. And some of them say, oh, I tried, but I failed. And I think it just is the whole process that it's not about uh, whether you, uh, you know, achieved it or you failed at it. It's about the whole journey that the thought process development of that creative thinking in children, which is what you were also talking about, right? It's amazing. I haven't actually heard about the, the Da Vinci books. That's, I mean, as a, as a, as a process for, for kids, yeah. it's really fascinating. Um, I, I do wholeheartedly believe in this. I believe in it as a, from a children's perspective, but also an adult perspective. I carry a notebook with me everywhere. Always. I don't leave the house without it. And yes, me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because ideas are everywhere. And so, so one, of, one of the things that my students always ask me, I give them very strange assignments sometimes. Um, and they, they always say, like, how do you come up with these ideas? And I tell them, you know what? I actually don't come up with them. They, the ideas come up in conversations. 
like we would be talking about something and somebody would uh, make an interesting comment or say something funny and I would write these things down uh, or I would see something interesting I would draw them down and those then later on become the, the nourishment the fuel for further creative development and I do agree with you uh, a lot that within children giving them unscripted time to just create without judgment is absolutely critical because in a in a educational setting we oftentimes compartmentalize both the time that they're in you have you know art from 9 to 9:45 and then it's finished uh, but we also um, compartmentalize the subjects themselves where art is treated different from math math is treated different from english english is treated different from geography when in reality i think that all these things ought to be combined into holistic projects where we study something about let's say a country we should study about the culture, the people, the type of education, the uh, colors, uh, the arts, it should all be intermingled as much as possible so as to not segregate these things into individual topics. Absolutely. And uh, exactly what I was coming to that when life is not such, like life is not compartmentalized, we don't have a scientific time and we don't have a math and we don't have a language time. It is, it just flows through the day. And I think that's what education also just needs to flow amongst all the subjects that we want to teach children. And I think just like you were saying, like children, just give them that time where they can explore. If we want to teach children about lake, we should take them to the lake. Why teach it inside the room and let them go and let them first come up, let them explore, let them get samples, let them observe, come and note down things that they, uh, you know, observe, because we want them to open their mind as learners, to be curious, to inquire. And when we want to inculcate all those things, we can't teach them inside, you know, rooms and telling them to be curious when we're not giving them that space to be curious. So I think that's so important that, uh, these kind of creative thinking strategies need to be applied even in school, not only when we are, you know, grown up. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, um, there's a talk by the comedian John Cleese, where this was a few years back by now, and he was giving it to some Swedish council of something, something, and it was a rather long talk. But what he described in that talk was essentially that there's a time for creativity where you allow your mind to be very free and open and be out and about and that there's a time for logic where you take the creative thoughts and manifest them into the physical outcome of it so in other words the way i see it is that that connection between the left brain and the right brain where you have a moment where you just really allow one side to flourish and the other one is subdued and then you when the timing is right you allow for that force that energy to transform towards the logic side where you output whatever it is that you have done. So when you talk about the classroom, that we should all be outside, I could see possibly some people saying, oh, well, but you know, children, children need to be educated in, in a box and so forth. And I think there's a time and place for both where there is the free exploration and the creativity that goes outside and that there's a moment for the logic where you just focus on the actual output Right. the result of that creative process. So I try to always tell my students that we need to go back and forth between the left brain and the right brain for those two halves to really learn how to work together because if they don't, one will ultimately dominate the other one. And that's when oftentimes we feel as if we have lost creativities because we've 
lost that connection between left brain and right brain many times. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think we could go on and on, uh, Frido, talking about this because I can just see your, the passion with which you, uh, uh, you know, talk about it and it flows in your work as well. Because, you know, one thing uh, I feel that once you, uh, once your mind opens to the creative thinking processes, I think that flows into everything in life. Um, you know, it's, you might just be creating a sandwich, literally, you might just be creating a sandwich, but the way that you do it, you know, you're focused on putting the lettuce and then the tomatoes and what dressing I'm going to put on it, whether I want to grill it or not, you're giving some thought to it. And then you take your time and you sit down and enjoy that sandwich. So it's not just, uh, you know, only during the work time that you need to use creativity. Once you, once your mind opens to this creative thinking, it just flows in your life and it's more than just a skill it's just i think a way of life then it is i'm just making note here uh, what i was going to mention to add to yours which is when when people ask like well how can i be more creative it's really about the question should be how can i practice more creativity because creativity is not a on off switch it is a it is an ongoing daily thing and i i couldn't agree more with uh, the notion of, of the sandwich <laughs> that creativity is is all around around us if we allow ourselves yeah. uh, to have that and food is such a wonderful medium to work with yeah because there are somewhat finite levels of ingredients to to play with and there's a very clear value at the end which is to in one form or another feed someone else um, but you can get very very creative with it and as you mentioned, we can use this thought about anything that we do. I mean, if it is a matter of uh, getting out of the house and going to whichever destination we have, we tend to take the same route for the destinations that we've gone to and just allowing ourselves to say, hey, how can I go differently? What's another way to go? What's another method of transportation or another uh, direction or another time of day uh, really opens up new possibilities. And one of the things that um, we often practice within our family is the concept of planting limits, which basically means instead of opening up all the possibilities in life, let's take the sandwich, we say, oh, what could be a sandwich if I had all the resources in the world? We kind of go about it sometimes the opposite way, which is saying like, okay, let's assume we own, exactly, we only have limited resources. What can we do that hasn't been done yet with only these three or four things or ingredients and this is the same thing with um sometimes for example uh going out and about where we say like oh if we have cars we can go to any store in the world uh, these are the things that we can do but no sometimes you say like okay what can i get done if i only go to one location and i only work with what that location has to offer which is a planting some limits and i'm going to do it within this limited amount of time what can i accomplish that sometimes has really accelerated our, you know, daily creative practice, if you like, because creativity is something that needs to exercise daily, not just in that meeting when your boss tells you to be creative. No, I think, and I think the past one and a half year has been a proof of that because we were just locked in our homes. We couldn't go out and about the way we wanted to. And we still, I think everybody 
uh, kept those creative juices flowing and we kind of created new ways of, uh, uh, I think, uh, talking to people, new ways of educating children, new ways of going about whatever business we were doing. So I think uh, hats off to uh, every human being, every person for, you know, trying out the new, because I think trying something new always uh, fuels that creativity. Yeah, I mean, there's the fun moments that happened during the pandemic, actually, in many ways. I mean, for me, as a uh, someone that practices creativity, this was like, wow, okay, I get to fully practice <laughs> on all levels. The biggest mistake I think I made, which was kind of interesting, uh, so I make mistakes all the time, you know, I'm not completely not immune against it. I was going to share one for, for you and your audience. When we first went from physical teaching to online teaching, the biggest mistake I've done, uh, if we can call it that, was that I tried to run the online class the same way that I did the physical class, quickly realizing that it just doesn't work whatsoever. And then spinning heads and saying, okay, it's not working, it's not working, it's not working. How can I do it differently given the limited resources that I have? And it was once again, a very quick, rapid set of pivoting, of trying new things, trying new things, talking to other people, how have you done it? And picking up bits and pieces of inspiration along the way to really transform that experience. But at this point, gotta be honest with you, some of the classes I teach yield better results than when I was actually teaching it in the classroom by myself, which is kind of frightening if you think about it. Like, <laughs> wow, okay, so effectively I've, I've found a way to do a better job by actually not being in the classroom. But I think that's what the creative process wants to allow for is that we actually figure out a better way, whatever the outcome is or whatever you apply that better way to. And I see that with a lot of people that have taken the last 12, 18 months or are still in it in many ways and are saying like, hey, wait a minute, there's something else on the horizon that I didn't know existed. I'm going to pursue it. And so people are moving into different locations. They're moving into different careers yeah. and they're moving into different uh, forms of their own lifestyles where they're starting to say, hey, wait a minute, I think I want to design my own lifestyle in a more creative way because there's no point in sticking with what was because that's become so flexible. Yeah. You know, there's no longer a stable form of life to go back to, at least not in the same way that it was. And it opens up that possibility, which gives me so much joy to see that people are taking advantage of this really unique situation that applies to almost the entire planet as opposed to just a few people. Now you're looking at one credo because when the pandemic hit, I was just doing the workshops on the ground. I was having so much fun with interacting with teachers and, uh, you know, the kids. And when the pandemic hit, I was like, I don't think I can do, I can't function. Just like you said, I can't bring the same module on to the online platform and have as much fun. And then I said, okay, maybe I, I'll just devote this time to learning. And I started learning in this way. I've been, uh, you know, connecting with people and uh, thought leaders. I mean, uh, having these conversations, which I never thought could happen, but for this virtual platform, I mean, it has been so, so much fun uh, trying to understand what education means to people in so many different, uh, you know, spheres of life, wherever they are. So I think it's been amazing and it would never have happened but for this, uh, you know, the pandemic. So I think we just need to continue being learners and uh, just taking the new in the stride and moving on. 
I think I think the the continuing to be learners, I think, is a, is a really big message for I think all of us that um, yeah, when I went through my my first education, you know, they they told me like, well, we want to create lifelong learners. And I always thought like, oh, that sounds really daunting. It sounds like I have to be in a, in a school for the rest of my life, right? That doesn't sound very appealing when somebody, when a teacher tells you necessarily. But I've since come to realize that, wow, there's so much to be learned and to be experienced. And if we, if we allow ourselves to do that, it really opens up so many possibilities. And I, I find that that's so interesting where we talk about limited resources where, for example, if if things at, at home break or so, there's nowadays, you just need to turn towards a video that shows you how to do a certain <laughs> skill, not the creative side necessarily, but a certain skill or a certain way of getting something done. I'm like, there are so many resources. I need to know very little permanently. I just need to be very good at being creative and how to access different forms of information and that allows me to do anything so if i do want to learn how to cook something or how to make something i can look those things up and once i understand the technical side of it i can then use my creativity to evolve it further and i think that does create lifelong learning and so i'm i'm always seeking for new ways of enriching my own life and that of my family so that we don't become stagnant right that there's a an evolution happening on a constant slow trickling way absolutely and that's that's i think the wonderful message that i want to take from here and uh, but before we go uh, frido i want you to give uh, our viewers our listeners what is that one thing the most important step in uh, you know the journey how you can discover your creative self the most important one the first Ah, it's putting me on the spot here. I see. <laughs> it's so challenging to put it down to one. I would say that um, I, I tell you, maybe start with what the challenge is that I see. The challenge I oftentimes see with working with students is them discovering what their passion truly is. I think. Um, it is sometimes challenging for some to feel they want to exercise creativity because they might not know yet exactly what it is that they want to get creative with in their daily life. So I can sometimes see the discovery of passion as a quite interesting obstacle for some. And, I, and I'm talking about oftentimes uh, dealing with students in their 20s somewhere around there where they're like, yeah, I'm studying a certain major, which is already a mistake, right? If you study a major, let's say you study math, that means that you only deal with math, but not with, let's say English or something, right? So I think that's challenge number one is to, again, to compartmentalize these things. But I also see this with uh, others that I work with, where I do coaching that are in a middle stage of their life, where they said, I've worked for a number of years in a certain industry, and I just don't quite think that that is it. And so what shall I do? And it's this, this empty void that, that people are describing. And to me, um, I find the best way to figure out what I like myself is to, first of all, talk to others and ask them about their opinion. But then secondhandedly is to try things out on a very rapid pace myself. I tell people that I give everything a try at least once 
but I stop as quickly as I can if I don't feel the connection to it. So I think in the process of being creative or exercising creativity, it's critical to start more things and then lay away those that you don't like. Like if you read a book and you don't like the first couple of pages, put it away, go to the next one until you find the one that captures you. If you are thinking about uh, creative tools to use, start with simple tools, start with simple paintbrushes, simple pens, simple papers. Don't try to overthink it, just try to create. Don't worry about perfection, just get started. If it is about cooking, go to the kitchen right now, see what's in the fridge. Try to combine it in ways that you haven't done yet. Think like a child, give it a try. If it gives you joy, then try it again. If not, then close the fridge and find another area. So to answer your question, I think finding ways to exercise and discover the passion that will lead you down the path is probably the most important step. Out of all my strategies in my book, I sometimes have my students guess, try to guess which one my favorite is. And it is fail fast prototyping, which is where you start yeah. with limited resources. You try something out, you see uh, what you can make out of it. Um, and I practice that on, an, on a daily basis because it, it fuels creativity uh, in a very, very rapid kind of way. Yeah, I think that's uh, something what brought to my mind is my drawer is usually full of, uh, you know, all the uh, what the kids would call it, all the garbage I collect, because it will be like those leftover rolls and there'll be leftover, yeah. you know, strips of uh, wood or things like that. And when it's time to do something, when you cannot go out and you have to create from home, then they're rushing to those drawers and they'll take out something and then you create. And if I think if you have those limited resources also sometimes it's a different kind of a thought process that you you know uh, use and you just create at home even if it doesn't work or it works the excitement of doing it is I think what really uh, brings the you know creative uh, side of you alive yeah so to, to add to this I, I there, there are some symptoms that I sometimes see where it's the opposite which is which I find quite interesting so I have I have students that say I like I ask them about their pr progress and they say, I couldn't do this yet because I first needed a printer or I first needed to wait for the tool or I first needed the material. And I always think like, no, that's the wrong way to think about it. If you're waiting for something to come to you so that you can then start, yeah. will will stop you from being creative. Start without having the right things in place. That's the most important thing. Like, yeah. Don't wait for an excuse that you cannot start because that's usually what procrastination is and doesn't really yield creative results in that sense as opposed right. to just starting so we'll we'll go ahead with keeping that child alive in us frido and uh, keeping that childlike curiosity and uh, the enthusiasm the excitement to do it and i'm sure we're all going to come out more creative after today's talk <laughs> i hope so thank you so much for having me it's been real Thanks. real treat Thank you so much, Frido, and it's been an honor. It's been a wonderful, uh, you know, I don't even remember what time we started, but it's been amazing talking to you. And we hope to uh, see you again sometime. I hope so too. To definitely. share more, uh, you know, ways to get more creative because definitely we want to keep increasing our creative quotient. Yeah, and uh, sort of as a final word, what, what I've been practicing, which has been really, really wonderful, is how to apply creativity uh, on uh, the human lifestyle, the lifestyle that one wants to lead. And I think that's where it gets really, really interesting. So 
more on that next time and how to design creative lifestyles. Oh, already getting ready for that. Absolutely. So happy. Thank you, Frida. Thank you so much. Sunday. Thank you so much for taking time out early in the morning. And please go and have fun with your family now and uh, see you next time. See you next time. Thank you so much.